Welcome to episode 16 of the All That Podcast. Today I have a very, very, very easily my biggest guest <laughs> thus far, uh, Mr. Torre. And let me just say that this is a moment for me personally because I remember um, three years ago, I'm in college and I'm in Barnes & Noble. Um, I passed by a book and I'm in... I'm, in the African-American um, section, you know, book section or whatever. So I passed by a book called uh, Who's Afraid of Post-Blackness? And and for me, three years later, to be sitting here on the phone with you is like a pretty big deal <laughs> to oh, me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, so I guess I'll just jump into it because similarly to your podcast where you, you know, kind of go through the process of you know, what makes a person great at what they do. Um, I like to, I like to focus on the process a lot on this podcast and just, you know, um, have my guests tell interesting stories. So did you know that you would always be a writer? Like, was it something that you, you came, uh, I mean, I thought about it in, in high school, um, becoming a writer. I knew that, uh, my mom, would be okay with that that she would think that it was a good thing you know a good job to have Mm -hmm. um so yeah as early as high school i was thinking about it um i mean i think in college i started to be able to see it in a in a in a way that was more sort of actionable like here's what a writer can do to you know change the world and help people Right. Um, you know, and that, you know, that made it mean a lot to me and be very tangible. Right. And speaking of college, when you were in college, you, um, I read, started like a school newspaper, right? Called the, is, was it called the fire this time? I believe the fire this time. Yeah. Right. That's obviously like a, a nod to, uh, James Baldwin, right? Absolutely. Right. Can you tell us like, cause I remember when I was in college and, I remember, like, I got so knowledgeable there. Like, it was, like, a different experience. Like, I grew up in a household where my dad was always, you know, pumping, like, black history or, you know, African history and all this. So I grew up in, in you know, in um in that kind of environment. But when I got to college, like, my intellect, I think, you know, knocked it up. <laughs> you know, the levels knocked up a whole bunch. So what was it about the college atmosphere that had you, like, um, motivated to start that newspaper? Well, you know, something happened that only would matter in college and not really to anybody else. Um, but uh, black students arranged to have a party. Um, you know, we had a whole little contract with the school that you had to have to go and have a party. Mm-hmm. Supposed to go on from, say, you know, 8 to 11 at 10 o'clock. Uh, the police came and said, oh, we got noise complaints because they have to shut it down an hour early. And we were, you know, furious and offended. And so we uh, wrote, uh, like, 20 of us wrote letters to the school paper saying, you know, basically, you know, what the hell is this? And the paper combined all of our letters, which were pretty similar, into one big letter with 20 signatures. And it's the right thing to do, but we didn't know that. We were offended about that, and we felt, you know, disenfranchised. Uh, we had no voice. So out of that, 
trying to give, you know, black people on campus, especially black students, a way of speaking up about what was going on in the world, either locally or nationally. Um, and, I mean, you know, it's a ton of work, but it's very exciting. And, you know, it had a greater, it had a sense of a greater purpose than me. Um, it wasn't just something I was doing trying to make money, but like something I was doing just to try to give us a voice and give us something to, a way to be heard. Um, right. So basically that and was it your... still exists there, I believe. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So basically that was your like, because now, you know, if you heard somebody's voice, it had to be somewhat expected, you know, back in the day. Uh, but now, you know, everybody has an opinion. So that newspaper was kind of like, you know, Twitter in a way, you know, uh, to uh, give it a voice. Okay, sort of, sure. Yeah. Um, did you run into any controversy on campus uh, because of the newspaper? Uh, because of the newspaper? Or something you wrote uh, in the newspaper or, you know. I mean... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I would, I mean, sure, yes and no. I mean, there were times that people were upset about, you know, various things that I wrote. You know, I mean, I have an opinion and, you know, but I mean, that was part of the experience. I mean, in a way, it was like acting on stage in that you do something, you write something, you know, Monday night, it comes out on Tuesday and, you know, people are responding on Tuesday and you got to see, like, you know, how your work, uh, you know, how your writing sort of uh, is, it affects people, you know, like in real time. So it's a really good training ground because you get to, like, the city and you get responses from people, but it's different, it's less um, than, you know, like the people around you every day at college. Right. Um, I want to segue a little bit into your, or shift rather, a little bit into your professional career. Now, you were an intern before, correct? Yeah. So, what do you, because there's like this trend on uh, Twitter with, you know, us young people <laughs> about how I'm not, kind of like I'm, basically they're saying like I'm not inter- interning or doing all this work for free. So, uh, do you necessarily agree with that, or do you think that you know the old school way, kind of doing internships and you know you, you know you go pick up the donuts or whatever? Do you think that's still effective? And how was your experiences being an intern? Well, I mean, you know, it's hard for me to say what others need. I mean, I know in some cases an internship allows you to experience a work world, a work community. Um, in a way you would not otherwise experience it and just get to learn what it means to be in that sort of world. Um, which, you know, when you're younger, you kind of need, you know, you don't know what it is to be in a work, you know, in the work world. Um, you know, so I mean, as you know, now that said, you know, I realized quite quickly the Rolling Stone internship was not about teaching us to write or anything really, but giving them a free labor force. And so I started to uh, exploit that and not really want, 
wanted to just be part of that, and so I was like, you know, well, I have to be able to be a, a writer out of this, so I'm not just going to be like, you know, their free labor. Um, that does happen, but I mean, you know, there's, there's, there is still value in that. I don't think it's just picking up the donuts. It, there's, you know, there's more to it than that. Right. Um, how do you think? Of, what do you think about the landscape um, for creators? Uh, this day and age because um are you still like one of those people i know like a lot of people like from my parents you and my parents are about the same age um they still are like oh, thanks. thanks i mean no i'm i'm they had me That's young great. they had me young so it's fine <laughs> it's fine but um you know there's still that you know belief in a lot of ways that you know you have to you know, work uh, the 16, uh, you know, just hard work. And, you know, millennials are more like, if there's an easier way to do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so are you, these, um, but do you feel like because of that, that now you see a lot of, mm, I don't want to say non-talent, but people are not as talented. <laughs> as they used to be and i kind of feel like that's because you know it's a lot easier i think people can access what they want a lot easier now without having to put in all that work um i mean i'm not sure uh exactly what the question is but you know working hard is always going to be rewarded um i mean i think you know, I work very hard at all the things that I do. Um, you know, if I have a project, very, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with the subject and with the piece of media that I'm creating about it and looking at it over and over and over and, you know, trying to make it better, trying to make it better. And, you know, working late, you know, working early, just doing whatever I have to do, uh, you know, to make that article or that book that podcast uh, or whatever I'm creating, you know, great. And I, I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe you could get by looking for different ways of spending less effort and shit on it. But I mean, I don't know. It's hard. Right. I guess what I was trying to say um, was like, Okay, you look at musicians in like the seventies, eighties, and it's like to me the difference in the difference, especially in hip hop. Okay, so I remember Jay Z was uh, on the Breakfast Club, and he was saying how you know once the money really started to come coming into coming into rap, you start seeing people like Diddy starting to rap. You know what I mean? It's like the money is so much money there that people like everybody's trying to grab at it. Um, but they don't necessarily love it or have the talent, you know, real talent at it. So I guess that's what I was trying to say. So, yeah. But, um, let's see. One thing, one of the things I respect about your career is that you've been able to transform. And by that, you know, from the beginning of your career, like the landscape has really changed. Um, so now you, you was there, you were at Rolling Stone, MSNBC, and now, you know, podcasting is big and now you have the Toray show. How, 
how has that transformation been for you? Has it been hard, difficult at moments? Has you know, has it or has it been seamless? Um, I mean, it wouldn't be seamless, but mm-hmm. you know, I get, I look at everything. I think through the eyes of a writer. You know, I think writing trained me to be writing in my head as I'm talking or creating something. So that that is a sort of link between them that I learned through the process of writing and how to shape and control the words that I want to talk about. And that, so I may be writing in real time, but I'm still writing. Um, and just learning how to do, you know, just, just brief learning how to do television, learning how to do podcasting, learning the differences between those forms and the forms that I'm used to. And, um, you know, I mean, like a big thing was that, you know, I mean, and, and again, it just comes from studying, you know, I, I noticed that in magazine journalism, where I was in terms of Rolling Stone, I, at first I chose typically to not personally be part of the story. As time went on, I started more and more to be part of the story, but for the first chunk of my career, I felt like it was more appropriate for me to not be part of the story. But then, when I get into television, I see a little bit more that, like, you know, oh, you know, I've got to be part of the story. You know, I've got to put my thesis up front, you know, right away, be prepared to say, you know, to make the point in fewer words, more direct words. You know, with podcasting, even more, like, I have to really be part of the performance. I can't just be asking the questions. I have to be bearing things myself. Um, but, you know, some of it comes from seeing people operate in different fields and being like, oh, I can do that. And I, you know, I definitely always felt like, you know, I could do television. Um, and when, when when I first started really getting into podcasting was when uh, MSNBC, when the first year or so that I was there, they provided car service for us to and from our house mm-hmm. and so I would sit in the car on the way and read you know blogs and stuff preparing for the segment when they uh, instituted some some cost cutting maneuvers and stopped that and they said you get to the office the best way you know how um, I started city biking to and from the office from my house to the office which I really enjoyed, but I couldn't do the blog studying, obviously, that I used to do. And I found quickly that listening to music on the while I'm riding a bike through the streets of New York just didn't really make a lot of sense. It really fills up the ear, right? So I cannot hear where I am. So it's just, you know, it's not, it doesn't make sense. But podcasting made a lot of sense, and I started going through This American Life and Radio Lab and a few other shows. And uh, I loved it, and I also was like, oh, I can do that. And uh, but that sort of sense started me on that journey. Gotcha. Man, but it kind of... Any, mm-hmm. any world you want to be in, you should study that world. Right. I, mean, I remember the first time I got a Rolling Stone, an assignment from a Rolling Stone teacher, and I sat down with, like, 10 or 15 issues of the magazine 
and just read features just to see what are the conventions, what are the things that they always do. Can I notice things that they don't do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just you know, when I want to get into podcasting, listening to a lot of different podcasts and see how is it done. Um, you have to be well versed in whatever world it is that you want to work in. Just, just you know, whatever medium you want to work in, just so you can fully understand, you know, that world. Right. I want to talk a little bit about the book that I mentioned earlier, um, Who's Afraid of Post-Blackness. Now, that book was centered, centered around, you know, how the idea of blackness was kind of changed um, in large part as, uh, as a result of Obama's election. And I was thinking, as I was, you know, preparing for the interview, I was thinking, like, man, well, Trump's presidency was kind of built on a post-whiteness, if that makes sense. Like, um, now you have eight years of this black president. Then you have uh, the possibility of this woman (laughs) being president. And I was thinking, like, that's interesting um, how back-to-back presidency was built. Because, like, in your book, you were saying post-blackness. Well, not built on, but a result of. And, you know, whites are feeling um, threatened. Um, by their status in you know America being lowered or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think the election of Trump is definitely a direct reaction to the election of Obama. Right. They're not. It's not coincidental. One happens because of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's. I, I I would go along with post whiteness. Mm-hmm. I think that Trump is very much uh, trying to enlighten uh, and, and entitle traditional whiteness and, you know, make America great. It's a throwback to, you know, remember a time when Father Knows Best was on TV and white people were in charge? Like, that's what they were trying to do. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there's definitely... It's definitely a response to the Obama uh, ascension and the sense of liberation that black people and a lot of people of color felt in the election of Obama. Right. And that, when I said post-whiteness, I, you know, I was like, I kind of, the reason I said post-whiteness, even though, you know, it's not really, it's because whites, for the first time probably in the country's history, felt like they were losing their superiority when Obama's in office. You know, they felt like they were on a back burner. Um, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, you know, as far back as, you know, 10 minutes after slavery, (laughs) you can find white people going, well, we've gone too far. And there's just this vibe of like, wow, that's too much. Right. And like of of reconstruction of you know, of just certain laws being rescinded of affirmative action, of you know, the end of segregation and just the entire march to equality, not that we're there yet, but has been marked by, you know, white people feeling like, Whoa, we've given them too much. This is going 
<laughs> right. interesting point actually I never thought about it like that and I always say when people because I am of the thought process that we might need to when I say we I'm speaking of black people might need to stop looking for the white man for to treat us right or for handouts but then you look back at the country's history like during a reconstruction period um, you know blacks were you know doing pretty well and then then you have black codes and then you have Jim Crow okay 70s you know it was a pretty decent time for blacks then the 80s come now you have war on drugs and it's like oh i forgot about black wall street yeah that was bomb so every time we try to um you know do do it for ourselves is always interfered with so um, i mean i mean you know the, the history of of black liberation is constant is not a straight line it's constantly, uh, you know, steps forward and then steps backward right. and, you know, backlash to, you know, any sort of sense of forward progress and movement. Um, and that sort of push pull has defined this sort of black experience. Right. So before we get out of here, because I don't want to hold you too long because I appreciate you. Um, taking out some time for me. Um, I want to have some some fun because you have you've had some moments <laughs> in your career that are very like interesting to me. Um, I guess the first one, this is not even a moment, but you wrote books on prints. I have one of them, and you had somewhat of a relationship with him, right? Uh, that's a big word. Oh. Maybe not relationship, but you know, obviously you guys spoke before. Yeah. So, just to have a little fun, I want to, because you're like a Prince theologian, and I consider myself a Michael Jackson theologian, which I'm pretty sure you are too. So, you know, the age-old question, Michael or Prince and why? (laughs) I mean, I don't think it has to be an either or. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't. But you know, this is a good conversation. <laughs> Barbershop talk. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, I love Prince. You know, I mean, you know, the, the music is funkier. You know, the 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 persona is more complex and interesting. You know, the man is just extraordinarily talented and. There's just, you know, just so much about him that's uh, really, 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 really uh, incredible. Hmm. So, do you think, because I think when I'm comparing, I don't like, maybe I shouldn't compare, but when, you know, I'm in debates with people about this, I always say, like, I love Prince. He's probably my fourth favorite artist. Um, do you feel like Prince was like a volume shooter? Like maybe just because he released so much work, 
But like every time Michael released something, it was like, you know, a hit. Um, you mean like bad? So, oh, no, so like you're bad. saying bad was bad? Is that what you're saying? I, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, like there was great stuff on there, but I mean, like, you know, it, 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 you know, I mean, you guys have had like a volume shooter. I mean, like, I don't think there's that any had five number ones on it, Torre. When you, but when you're talking about Prince's output mm-hmm. from 1999 to uh, Sign of the Times, right? That's know, like five even years, right? Yeah, no, no, much more than that. Much more than that. Um, I mean, that's one of the more incredible uh, sort of outputs and periods in one artist's career. I mean, like, that's that's just like straight classics every year, all the time. I mean, like, you know what what you know what Michael achieves is is incredible, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but I mean, like, it's certainly not the case that, like, well, if you put out a ton of music, some of it just has to be good. I mean, like, <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, right. like Prince, Prince, you know, Prince's career is uh, extraordinary. It definitely is. I just feel like he puts, he, I don't even want to say a lot of bad stuff, but just a lot of eh stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But maybe, like you said, he, he is artist. You like Dangerous? I love the Dangerous album. Oh, okay. The only album, the only Michael Jackson album that I that I might say was an eh album was the History album. Okay. You know, I'm just saying, Prince has a lot of, you know. <laughs> I mean, what's I mean, it? You know, yeah. I don't really mark, or I mean, like I said again, like, you know, Prince is like, you know, I mean, the career, you know, the, the beginning of the career especially is pretty extraordinary what was his and, first album for you was that his first album or yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and i mean like you know just the string of music during that core period um sort of starting with even dirty mind um which uh, is extraordinary ahead of his time definitely and then there's controversy 1999 purple rain that's just all just classics around the world today Parade, Sign of the Times, Love Sexy. That's just all classics. That's 1980 to 1988. Hmm. I mean, like, it, it, there's no artist that really comes close to that level of output for that long in a career. You know, that many great albums. And there's no duds within that period. Um, you know, I don't look at his later career in the same way, but I also don't look at it like, oh, you made a bad album or you made a bad movie, so you lose a point. Right. It is so difficult to make something great. I will give you points as you know, as a fan or as an audience member mm-hmm. for making something great, a great album, a great movie, a great book, whatever. And there's so many reasons why something can end up being bad. You know, a project can end up being bad or whatever. I'm not taking points away. You know, like, I I find that sort of math to not make sense. Like, well, you made some great albums, but you made some bad ones. Like, uh, I mean, 
you know, comparing them to me kind of kind of is like when you compare like Kobe and LeBron. Like they're two different, you know, players. Um, well, sure. Kind of, you know, because Michael is. I think they're Michael and Prince is like two different artists, totally. Sure. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I still picking Michael. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're, you're young. I'm, I'm 24, so you have more, you know, definitely more, um, you lived during that time, so, you know, you're more educated on that than me. But, um, which brings me to another point about Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Now, I got a little ahead of myself and said, when after Co- the Coachella performance, and I said, Beyonce is the greatest entertainer of all time. And then I had to retract my statements and say that Beyonce, yeah. that was the best concert I've ever seen. Now, I stand by that. I'm still give Michael the best entertainer of all time. But, I mean, that, if that was the greatest concert you've ever seen, you can see more concerts. Oh, you, yeah, come on. Okay. And once again, I'm going to defer to your expertise because you've been a I prob- mean, like, come <laughs> on, dude. Come on, dude. I mean, you know, I watched that in, you know, as it aired, it was great. It was exciting. I was very proud. That was awesome. That was not the greatest concert I've ever seen. I mean, like, you know. Can you give me an example of the greatest concert you've ever seen? Um, Prince, Purple Rain Tour. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, Prince definitely <laughs> is on that list. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, you know, I've seen Michael do some incredible things. Um, you know, I've seen some great Radiohead shows. I've seen some great uh, U2 shows that were epic. U2, um, that's different. Especially when they were first, like, doing video experiments with Zoo TV and shit. Like, their shit was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, you know, it's nothing to take away from Beyonce and Beachella, which is great. But I mean, right. like, you know, I just it, think it, like maybe, maybe not the elevated to a different level when you're like greatest concert I've ever seen. And I'm like, that's true. Did you see Infinity War? I did not. <laughs> you didn't see Infinity War? Not no. I was meaning to go see it. I definitely saw Black Panther. There's this moment in Infinity War for the people who've seen it that you know one of them is like you know this uh, flash dance you know Footloose and it's, it's still the greatest movie of all time and the other one says it never was and like <laughs> I like that well it's still true for me though I said that I've seen <laughs> but well, um yeah, yeah. sure. I just think like maybe not the like I think that's why I retracted my st- the, 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 just not just not even her, just her though like I th- Michael by himself or like Prince probably by themselves like as an individual probably put on his best con- better concert but I'm just saying from the production and the you know the sorority yeah, I do, you know I do I do it does bug me when. Millennials are like, well, you know, I have a very small amount of, you know, experience in this, but that's what I, that's what I know, so that's what I'm going to, 
like okay like you know, <laughs> hey but i'm willing to i'm like, willing well, to learn team, like okay yeah that's because you show, team can shows and that show <laughs> um you know i mean that was great that was right. certainly not the shouldn't that i mean it just shouldn't be the best show you've ever seen uh yeah. Because there's just, there's just so much, so much else. I'm gonna do my research, and you know, when we talk again, <laughs> we're gonna have re, re, uh, visit this conversation, and maybe I'll change my mind. So let's try to get something we might can agree on. Let's see if you gonna agree, agree with me on this. You are a big, or well, you've played a part in hip hop for sure. You did the Jay Z and Nas, um, reuniting thing, right? Yeah. Um, who's the greatest rapper of all time? Who's the greatest rapper? Who's of all the time? greatest rapper of all time? Um, I mean, I at this point I choose Jay. Right. thank you. Finally, we agree with on something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just there's a level of technical ability, of you know, popular reach, of just breadth, of being able to do all the things that you want an MC to be able to do. Um, you know, you know, length of career. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there's just so much on Jay Z's uh, resume at this point. Right. Yeah, that's when I'm, I'm making my point. So I, I say you can have a favorite lyricist, like that goes by taste. But as far as stats, I mean, come on, it's really not even close. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Well, that was fun. I appreciate. Uh, once again, you um, granting me this interview, sure. And it was fun talking to you. I kind of stumbled there in the middle, you know. I'm usually never nervous, but I had a little nerves. Oh. I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> but um, that right. means you care. Right, right, <laughs> definitely. Um, so thank you, man. I, I appreciate sure. it. Sure, sure. <laughs> Happy to talk to you. <laughs> We will. We shall speak again, my friend. <laughs> good. Good, good, good. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your night. All right. Thanks, man. Peace. All right.